I'd like to begin with a trivia question this morning. Does anything but trivial? Are you ready? Nod your head if you're ready. Okay, here we go. Here's the question. Other than genetics, what do you think is the number one factor that determines how long you will live? I'll give you the answer. Here it is. You ready? This may surprise some of you. Job satisfaction. Job satisfaction. Studies have shown that those who say they enjoy their work live longer and those who don't enjoy their work die sooner. And now that you know that, how many of you feel like you could die any moment? <laughs> the fact is that work can be really, really hard. And if you were to ask people, why do you work? What do you think the number one response would be? I think I heard somebody say it. Yeah, I, I need the money. I have to get up and go to work. I need the money. It's like the bumper sticker that says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Now, the truth is that money all by itself is not all that compelling a reason to get up and work every day, and certainly stay-at-home parents know this because they work very hard for no money at all. This week, I'm beginning a two-part series on the world of work, and let me say this. I realized this morning that, that people are all over the roadmap when it comes to their perspective on work. Some of you this morning love your work. And when I say work, I'm not just talking about, you know, if you work in an office or as a police officer or a nurse, but you can be a stay-at-home parent. That's the work that God has given you to do. And some of you just love the work that you have to do. Now, on the other hand, you have people that are way over here. Man, you dread going to work. You just hope the weekend lasts a little bit longer because you don't want to go back because work is really hard and frustrating and it wears you out. And honestly, you just don't enjoy it very much. And then there's people all in the middle of that continuum. And so for the next two weeks, I want to do this. I want us to look at what the Bible has to say about work. Because there's a lot of information, a lot of principles here about the perspective that God wants us to have on work. And here's why. Because God wants us to really enjoy the work that he's given us to do. He wants us to find fulfillment and satisfaction in that work. And we're going to talk about how to do that. So are you with me? Okay. Here we go. Here's our first question this morning. Why should we work? And I want to give you five good reasons from the Bible that answer that question. And here is the first. We work because we are created in God's image. Jesus said this. He said, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Have you ever thought about this? What does God do all day long? Ever think about that? What was God doing when you were sleeping last night? What do you think he was doing? He was working, absolutely, because he's working all the time. In fact, when you look at the story in the Bible, it starts in the book of Genesis, and it talks about God's work of creation. And think about all the hats that God wears as he creates the world, the universe. Um, he's a strategic planner. He's a civil engineer. He's a real estate developer. He's a project manager. He's an artist. He has all these hats that he wears doing the work that he does. In fact, you could say that this book, the Bible, is a record of God's work throughout human history. And of course, when Jesus comes to our world, what does Jesus do? He works. He works. Notice this verse. This is actually a prayer that Jesus prayed toward the end of his life. Before he goes to the cross, he says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing, notice that phrase, the work you gave me to do. Now, 
one of the compelling reasons we work is because we are made in God's image, and God works. Now, here's the second reason that we work. We work to partner with God in caring for his creation. Here's another verse from the book of Genesis. It says this, the Lord God took the man, and who's that man? Adam, took Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and take care of it. Now, we need to understand from a biblical perspective that work is a blessing. Work's not a curse. Adam and Eve, before they ever disobeyed God, lived in a perfect world, and that perfect world included what? Work. God gave them meaningful work to do. And that's true of us. God made you with certain gifts and certain abilities. I was thinking about our graduates that were just here. We're all shaped in a certain way because God wants us to make a contribution in this world. And that's why one of the worst feelings you can have is feeling useless or unnecessary because you don't have meaningful work to do. I think that's part of the dynamic when, when people go through a period of unemployment. They have that feeling that I'm just not that, that useful because I don't have meaningful work that I'm doing right now. Or that happens sometimes when people get older and they don't have the strength or the energy that they once had. And that's the emotion that they experience. Now here's another reason that we work, and this is a very practical reason. We work to provide for our families. And once again, this is a principle right from the Bible. The Bible is very straightforward. Look at this next verse. It says this, if anyone does not provide for his immediate, for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So it's real clear that work is an opportunity to take care of our families. It is a privilege as well as a responsibility. Now here's number four, another reason we work. We work to have something to share with others. We work to have something to share with others. That's what this next verse points out. Bible says this, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands. Why? That he may have something to share with those in need. Now this verse was written by a man named Paul, and many of you know that Paul uh, is called an apostle. The word apostle means one sent, and God had given Paul a mission to preach and to plant churches, but Paul had a part-time job. Does anybody know what that job was? Yeah, he was a tent maker. He worked hard with his hands. Now, Paul continued to work, and he didn't have to. He could have relied on the support of other people, but he, he says, I'm continuing to work making tents, and here's the reason. I want to have something to share with other people in need. And of course, that applies to us too. One of the reasons we work is so that we have something to share with others in need. And church, let me say this. I see that happening here all the time. Um, so many of you give so faithfully so that we can share what we have with other people in need, and that pleases God. And that's one of the reasons that we work. Now, let me give you this, this last reason. There are others, but this is the last one this morning. Number five, we work to provide the resources needed to extend God's kingdom. We work to provide the resources needed to extend God's kingdom. Now, how many of you have ever heard that phrase, God's kingdom or kingdom of God? Just raise your hand briefly. Okay, a lot of you have heard that. What in the world does that really mean? The kingdom of God. God, because it's really important to see how it's connected with our work world. Well, there are certain phrases that we use that have that word kingdom. For example, there's this really amazing place that Walt Disney built in Orlando, and it's called the Magic what? Magic Kingdom. Who's been to the Magic Kingdom? It's magical, isn't it? But it's a kingdom. Uh, what about this? You need um, wheels for your car, so you might consider going to the tire kingdom. Good, good. We're getting on the same page. This is good. 
Or let's say that you're watching Animal Planet and they're talking about the animal kingdom. Now, here's the question. You've got a kingdom, but what's the one essential thing you have to have in order to have a kingdom? Exactly, a king. A king. Now, who is the king of God's kingdom? Okay, and more specifically, it is... And re listen, remember this. If I ask you a question on Sunday morning and you don't know the answer, it's probably... Jesus, exactly. Jesus is the king of God's kingdom. And it's really clear because when Jesus was here, he had a message. He said, look, the time is near. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. But here's the question. How does your job, how does your work, whatever it is, how does it connect to God's kingdom? Now, to answer that question, I want to begin with this observation. This is how a lot of people think, including including Christians. I've got my work world over here, and I've got my family world over here, I've got my church world over here, I've got my, my Facebook world over here, and so throughout the week, I just kind of navigate from one world to the next. And so, here, here's the question. What does your work world have to do with the kingdom of God? And here's the answer. Everything. Because from God's perspective, how many worlds are there? There's not these separate worlds. There's this one world, and who's the king over everything in that world? God himself is the king, and he exercises that kingship through Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's really fascinating. When you, when you think about you know, a definition of the kingdom of God, here's maybe the most concise definition I could give you. The kingdom of God is where God rules as the king. That's the kingdom of God. Now think about the story in the Bible. God creates the universe. He is the king of everything. And he lovingly rules over his creation, over his kingdom, including Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve at some point, and we're not sure when this happened, but they decide to rebel against the rule of God. They want to call the shots. They decide to go their own way. In effect, they reject God as their king. Now this is a pattern that we see throughout the pages of the Old Testament, people reject God as their king. In fact, there's a time when the nation of Israel says, God, we really want a king like all the other nations of the world. We're gonna reject you. We want a, a human king, and so God gives them King Saul. And I think that when that happened, it broke God's heart. His, his people are rejecting him as a king, but what does God do? God does not reject his people. In fact, as you read the Old Testament, there are prophecies one after another who talk about a king, a righteous king, a victorious king is coming to restore God's kingdom the way it was at creation. And who is that king who's coming? You should know this by now. It's Jesus, exactly. The righteous king is coming and Jesus has this, this radical message. And the message is simply this, that an entirely different kind of life is possible if you allow Jesus to rule in your heart by embracing him as your king. Think about that. An entirely different kind of life is possible if you allow Jesus to rule in your heart by embracing him as your king. And why is that important? For this simple reason. Because we have a heart like Adam and Eve. In fact, we're born with a heart that pulls us away from God's purpose and God's plan for our lives because we want to call the shots, don't we? It's really about what we want and what we need. And, and God says, look, the best life possible is a life where you love me with how much of your heart? 
all of your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul, you love your neighbor as yourself, does anybody do that perfectly? No. The Bible's clear. No, not one. Not a single individual in the history of humanity has perfectly kept God's commands. And what is the word for that? Yeah, sin, that three-letter word with a big what in the middle? I, it's all about me, what I want, what I need, my purpose, my plans. And the Bible is so clear. The Bible says this, that, that God is a holy God, and so our sin separates us from him. And not only that, God is a just God, so he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And this is really the, the heart of the bad news. We've got two giant problems. One is sin, and the other is the consequence of sin, which is what? Death. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is to die and to be separated from God forever. And then we read the story, or we hear the story, and we hear two stunningly beautiful words. But God. We rebel, but God still loves us. God still pursues us. In fact, God loves us so much that the story goes on to tell us that this God, who is one God but exists as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that God the Father sends God the Son, Jesus Christ, to earth, and, and Jesus lives a perfect life, the life we could never live. And then Jesus does this. He allows himself to be arrested and beaten and hung on a cross. And church, realize this. Jesus is not a victim of circumstance. He does this on purpose. In fact, he does it to, to carry out his Father's purpose. And on that cross, God does something amazing. At the cross, God is willing to put our sin on Jesus, to punish him in our place. God's wrath against our sin is poured out on Christ, and he dies. But that's not the end of the story, because we encounter those same two words. Jesus dies, but God. But God raises him from the dead, and Jesus issues this invitation and says, hey, come and follow me, because I want you to be a partner with me in building my what? My kingdom, my kingdom. Now, one of my favorite Bible verses is found in the book of Colossians. And it's Colossians chapter one, the verses are 13 and 14, and it says this, for he, that is God, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you're a believer this morning, if you're a Christian, you have been rescued. And that should just amaze us. I am so thankful that God rescued me. And I know that, that God did this. I was in the kingdom of darkness and God said, I'm gonna rescue you and bring you over into the kingdom of light. And that's what happens when you trust Jesus. The question is, how does that transfer take place? And church, realize this. When, when we talk about the gospel, week in and week out, it's because the gospel is the center out of which we live. I need to be reminded of the, of the gospel all the time. Because the gospel gives us a new record, a new identity, a new potential. But here's another reason, and I've shared this before. I want you to be equipped to share this good news with other people that God puts in your life. So imagine this. You're trying to explain to somebody how you become a follower of Jesus or what it means to be transferred from one kingdom to the next. Where would you begin? Well, I think Jesus made it real simple. He said, here's the deal. Repent and believe the good news. Pretty simple, isn't it? So what does the word repent mean? If somebody came to you and said, what is repentance? You know, how would you answer that question? Well, you could, you could say, well, I heard a message by Pastor Dudley this last Sunday. <laughs> and here's what he said. And I want to explain this to you because it's so important. The word repent literally means to change your mind. It's a military term that means an about face. And here's how it works. You are on this path 
that lead you away from God because that's how your heart is. That's how we come into this world. And so we're pursuing our own thing. It's about me, what I like, what I want, my goals, my dreams, my plans. And then something remarkable happens. We hear the truth. And at first, we kind of resist it because it's bad news. We hear this, this truth, hey, I'm a sinner and, and I need a savior. And then God begins to work in our hearts. He starts creating this faith that, that turns us around. And we hear this amazing news that there's a God who loves us like nobody else. And God changes the desire of our heart. Instead of going this way away from God, we turn and now we're moving toward God. And now it's not about what I want and what I need. It's about what God wants and what pleases him. And we realize that God has this incredible purpose for us, and that purpose involves building his what? Building his kingdom. Now, what does that have to do with your job? And here's the answer. When you become a Christian, well, let me do this. Let me use one of our songs this morning. There was a song that we sang, and it said, the lyrics, you'll re remember, I surrender some. What did that song say? I surrender all. So when you become a Christian, how much of your life does God want you to give to him? Yeah, the whole deal, right? God wants your time. He wants your talents. He wants your financial resources. He even wants your job. And why is that the case? Well, because Jesus Christ is not just our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our master. He's the one who calls the shots. Jesus is a righteous what? King. And when you're a Christian, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are now an agent of the king. You are an ambassador of the king. And that means that, that together, church, we have the privilege and responsibility of changing the world by building God's kingdom. And that is so, so important. Because listen, when, when you go back to work, when you leave this building, some of you are going to go back to work today because you work at home. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or dad or you go to an office, wherever it is, you're going to be deployed into the world, into the area of art and science and medicine and, and politics and, and all kinds of endeavors. Why is that? Because God wants us to influence this culture and to reclaim it for Christ. You see, really, if you think about it, the role of a Christian is to do this, to make the invisible kingdom of God visible to other people by the way that we live. Because it is true what Jesus taught. An entirely different kind of life is possible when you embrace Jesus Christ as your king. Now let me just give you an example. Um, how many of you have ever worked with somebody who worries a lot? Maybe you're next to somebody this morning who worries a lot. Maybe you worry a lot. How does the king want us to deal with worry? Well, he made it really clear. Look at this verse. It says, so, these are the words of Jesus. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, the people that don't know God, they run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then Jesus says this, but seek first, what are the next two words? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I had a conversation with a man a few days ago that really made an impression on me. He was talking about being injured and out of work. And, of course, that would bring anxiety to anybody's heart, right? You wonder how you're going to pay the bills and if you're going to be able to keep your house. And as we talked, he, he said, but God has been faithful. And I've learned that he can be trusted. And I thought, you know, that's what being an agent of the kingdom is all about. 
It's about sharing with other people what God is doing and has done for us. And so friends, realize this, that when it comes to the world of work, all work, all work is kingdom work if you're doing it with the king and for the king, whatever God calls you to do. And that leads us to another question that I want to consider this morning. What would it look like if when you go back to work, you try to just be constantly aware that you're working with the king and for the king? What would it look like if you worked in Jesus' name? Because that's what the Bible says we should do. And by that I mean this. What would Jesus do if he were standing in my place? What would that even look like? So let me, let me begin with this. Let's say that you get up and it's time to go to work. If you're going to try to approach the day like Jesus would, what's the first thing you think you would do? If Jesus is your model. Yeah, absolutely, you would pray. Because how did Jesus begin his work day? We know this. In, in Mark 1.35, he would go out to a solitary place and he would pray. So that's a good model for us to, to follow. And think about this. When you pray, if, if you start your work day by praying, you can just tell God what's you know, in your head, in your heart. Um, this is what I do. And, and it's so helpful for me. I'll, I'll actually take my schedule and I'll look at all those little boxes. Does anybody have boxes on your schedule? And appointments. And I'm looking at my schedule and I'm thinking, well, this one will be easy. This one will be a little harder. Boy, this one, I don't know if I even want to go here. Right? And so you've got all these different things happening throughout the day. And you can actually talk to God about each one of them. That's how Jesus started his day, talking to God. And that's how we can start our day. Now listen, when you do that, when you pray, here's a good place to start. And this is on your outline. Ask God to make you effective and successful in the work you are doing. Whatever it happens to be. Ask God, God, hey, I want to be effective today. I want to be successful in this work that you're calling me to do. Now that idea, that principle comes from a passage in Psalm 90 where Moses says this. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, one of the most important aspects of being effective and successful in your work involves this, how well you get along with people. Because work almost always is going to involve other people. Isn't that true? Now, some of us work with just a couple of people. In fact, you may work with the same people over and over again. Some of you work with a lot of people and they're different people all the time. But here's the thing. When you're working with other people, you need to ask this question. What would Jesus do if he were standing in my place in terms of working with these people? And that brings us to this next principle on your outline. Look for ways to serve people because that's what Jesus would do. Look at this verse from Mark's gospel. For even, even the Son of Man, and this is Jesus' favorite title for himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, Serving other people in the workplace could be really simple. You know, just opening a door for somebody, carrying a package, getting somebody a cup of coffee. It could involve something more substantial like volunteering to help with a project. But God wants us to serve the people that he places in our work world. And here's something else that's really important. God wants us to learn from the people that we're working with as well, especially these kinds of people. We can learn from difficult people. In fact, do you know that you need difficult people in your life? And here's why. They help you learn how to love. Look at this teaching from Jesus. He said this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now listen carefully. I want you to really grab hold of this. 
Every difficult person is a God-ordained learning experience. Really, that's true. God has placed difficult people in our lives to shape our hearts. Now, let me just coach you a little bit in terms of dealing with difficult people. How many of you have any difficult people in your workplace? Okay, wow. So you should really connect with this. All right. One of the things that you can do when you encounter a difficult person is to remind yourself of this. You could just say this to yourself. Don't say it out loud, okay? Just say it to yourself. Here's my chance to learn how to love, okay? In fact, let's practice that together because you may need this this week, okay? Ready? Here's my chance to learn how to love. One more time, ready? Here's my chance to learn how to love. That's great because it puts you in that frame of mind that here's a chance, here's an opportunity that God can help you learn how to love somebody. Now, becoming a more loving person requires certain skills that you can develop and one of the best skills is being a really good listener. That's one of the ways that you express love to people, by listening to them. So, here's what you can do. When you're involved in that conversation, and listen, this doesn't just apply to the world of work. This works in marriage and parenting. You can just say these three words to somebody that will make you a better listener. Are you ready? You might even want to write them down. It's just three words. Tell me more. They come to you with a problem. Don't try to fix it. Just say, tell me more. Because that gives you an opportunity to listen and to try to understand what they're thinking and how they're feeling. So you put those two together and here's how it works. You go to work and you've got that difficult person or that difficult conversation and you say to yourself, here's my chance to learn how to love. And then you smile and you say to the other person, tell me more. And then wait and see how God works in that situation. Okay, quick review, church. Number one, ask God to make you more effective and successful in the work you're doing. Look for ways to serve people. Learn from difficult people. And here's the next principle, and this is huge. Remember that your identity is not in your work. It is in Christ. Your identity is not in your work. It is in Christ. Consider this. If somebody were to ask you the question, who are you? How would you answer that? Now, I know for a lot of guys, the answer would be, well, I'm a banker, I'm a police officer, I'm a teacher, I'm a consultant, whatever, because a lot of guys have their identities wrapped up in what they do for a living. And I know that's even true for a lot of women, that their career is tied to their identity, and for a lot of women, their identity is closely connected to the most important people in their lives, those key relationships. Um, I'm Bob's wife, I'm Billy's mom. And that becomes our source of identity. But this is what God wants. God wants our identity to rest squarely on him and our position in his family as a child of God through faith in Christ. Look at this verse. This is from the book of Romans chapter 8. It says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's what? We're God's kids. We're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And I'll tell you what. I've been reading this verse for a lot of years and I still can't wrap my mind around what that means. You know, someday God's going to reveal the depth of what it means to be a part of his forever family. But, but I know that that's supposed to be the source of my identity. And listen, men and women, I want to say something that I think is so important for you to hear this morning. It's something that I need to remind myself of it as well. And here it is. Are you ready? You are not your job. You're not. If you're a Christian this morning, you are a child of God. You are a brother 
You are a sister of the king of the universe. You are a co-heir with Christ. Now, why is that so important? And I'll tell you why. Because you can lose your job. Some of you have been through that experience. You can lose your business. You can lose that person with whom you have this close, key relationship. But can you ever lose your relationship with Christ? No. God holds you in his hands. And nothing, nothing can change that. And if that's where your identity is found, your identity never changes. And that gives you an incredible stability for your life. And it also gives you an incredible potential when you know who you are and whose you are. Well, let's, let's turn a corner here because there's one final consideration when it comes to working in Jesus' name. And it has to do with this. We talked about starting the day in Jesus' name like Jesus would. And what do you do to start your day? Pray. The question is, what do you do at the end of the day if you're going to, you know, work as Jesus would work if he were in your place. Well, let me ask you this. Do you ever come to the end of your work day feeling frustrated because you haven't done more? Anybody? Okay. Um, do you ever feel rushed and pressured and end up bringing work home with you? Okay. I was thinking about a story that I heard one time about this, this little boy. He was in first grade, and his dad kept bringing work home from the office night after night. And finally, his son said, Dad, why do you always bring home work from the office? And his dad said, well, son, because I just don't have enough time to get it done during the day. And his son thought for a minute and said, well, Dad, why don't they just put you in a slower group? <laughs> Some of us wish we could be in a slower group. But, but here's the point. Here's the point. God gives us an example of how to end our work day. And look at this statement on your outline. It says this, at the end of your work day, reflect on what you have done and see how it is good. Do you realize that's how God ended his work day during creation? Think about this. Here's a verse from Genesis. It says, God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. I mean, God himself at the end of every work day in creation just kind of steps back and says, man, I like that. That's, that's good. Now think about this, what if your focus at the end of the day shifted away from the things that you haven't done to the things that you have done? And you were able to just kind of review the day and say, you know, that conversation I had, that was, that was so good because I had a chance to encourage somebody and to be a good listener. Or, or God used me in this situation, or I'm just glad to get this off my list. God gave me the strength to do that. You can look back over the day and see how it was good. Now, next week, I'm going to give you a, um, a trailer for the message next week because I know there are some people that have a hard time ending their work day. And so the, the message next week, here's the title, God's Wisdom for Workaholics. So if you are one, if you know one, if you're sitting next to one, if you care about one, hey, come and listen to this message about how to bring balance to your life <clears throat> by following God's principles for work. All right, well, let's, let's wrap things up here. There's one final verse that I want you to look at. It's actually our verse of the week. And it says this, whatever you do. What does that include? Yeah, everything. Whatever you do, work at it with how much of your heart? All your heart. And notice this phrase, as working for the Lord, not for men. Now listen, really, if you will really understand what this verse is saying and put it into practice, it can change your perspective on work and make a huge difference in your life. Because listen, it doesn't matter whether you're a mechanic or a, a nurse or in sales or you know, a stay-at-home mom. Whatever work you do, your work is important. 
But what's even more important is who you're doing it for. Because did you realize that you can, you can close a deal for the glory of God? You can sell insurance for the glory of God. You can help and heal animals for the glory of God. You can manage people and projects for the glory of God. Did you know that you can actually change a diaper for the glory of God? It takes a lot of spiritual maturity, but it can be done. You can do anything for the glory of God if you're doing it to honor and to please him. So here's the deal. Here's the takeaway from, from the message this morning. What if tomorrow morning or whenever you go back to work, you had this kind of conversation with God? You said, God, okay, it's time to get back to work. And God, this is a work that I've been doing for a year, for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years. But starting now, it's going to be different. Because God... I need a new boss. And so, Father, starting, starting today, I want you to know that I'm doing this work for you. Let's pray. God, that's a good prayer. And, and I know, Father, it's a prayer that you want us to pray, a prayer that you will answer. And Lord, I thank you for these principles that, that help us understand um, the world of work. And God, I'm so thankful that we have this, this opportunity, this privilege to be your people and to, to go from this place and to make a difference in our, in our families, God, to make a difference at work, to make a difference in our community. And God, I know it sounds kind of lofty, but it's true. You call us to make a difference in this whole wide world, and you're doing that, God. And I thank you. And Lord, this morning, I, I want to pray for the people here in our church family that are just having a tough time at work because I know... Some people personally, Lord, that are just struggling right now and they are dreading going to work or maybe they're just overwhelmed because there's too much work and not enough help, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a, a difficult boss or complaining customers, Lord, you know their situation. But God, I pray this, that you will encourage them and strengthen them and that they will go back to work serving you, that they will see you as their boss. And Lord, I know this, that Sometimes when work is really hard, we're just praying, God, I need a new job. I need something to change. And Father, the fact is that often you don't change the circumstances. The circumstances remain unchanged so that you might change our hearts. And I pray for that grace, Lord, to just trust you and to keep seeking your purpose for our lives. And God, I pray this too, that whatever our work situation might be, that we would serve you well. God, that we would honor you and please you. And Lord, that one day when we get home to heaven, we'll hear these words, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And Lord, as we close this service, just want to use this last song as an opportunity to, to call out to you for help because you're the one who's promised to be our helper and our strength and our refuge. And Lord, um, especially for those that are struggling right now, I pray this song will deeply encourage them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me say this too. If you're having a tough time, especially at work, we've got some people that are um, available to pray with you after the service this morning. But right now, let's stand and sing our last song together.